begin. I'd like to just pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon His Word. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you opening your Word, may our hearts be opened to what you have for us this morning. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, we will be in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 6, kind of picking up where we were the, the last time, if you were with us. And one thing I've always enjoyed, uh, I enjoy the Gospels, uh, part because I like a good story. I am. I'm a, you probably <laughs> know me well enough to know I'm a story guy, whether it's books or movies or shows of some kind. I like a good story. I think most people do. Uh, just depends on whether you like uh, maybe historical works or fiction or whatever the, the, the genre or case may be. We all like a good story uh, in some way. But it's more than that. Obviously, sometimes some people think, well, you're not just telling a story. This, this, this isn't fiction, of course. This is true life. This is history. It's the greatest story ever told. It's been the statement of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that certainly is true. There's no other individual in all of history that compares. But as we pick up the, uh, this account, uh, we kind of pick up, we have to also remember that the Lord Jesus Christ being the main character, the main individual, but also in the Gospels, part of the main group are these 12 men, these disciples that are going with them, that the Lord Jesus Christ is pouring his life into. Now, he travels with them. There's so much, again, that we, the little bits that we don't know, the little moments that they have. But it's very much that, that he is teaching. And he is leading and pouring into them the entire time. And so much of what goes on is a teaching moment for them, whether they realize it or not. It often comes out later <laughs> down the road that they're like, oh, right, missed it. But we pick up the story here in uh, verse 30. Uh, if you weren't with us, the beginning of the chapter, again, uh, the Lord goes back to Nazareth, uh, is rejected there, moves on. He empowers the 12, the disciples, to go out to minister. He gives them power and authority to cast out demons, to heal, to teach. And then last time we, we had what I called the parentheses. It's kind of the, the account of what happened to John the Baptist during all this. We had this little parentheses, and we pick up the story where the, the 12 went out, and now they're coming back in verse 30. And as we come back, you know, it's an exciting time, I can imagine. In verse 30, it says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Again, if you've ever, it's not just ministry, but whether you've been traveling or you've been involved in something, you've been away from a group of people, when you come back, You've usually got stories to tell. Things have happened, taken place. You want to share. You want to tell people about it. And these guys are no different. And especially they want to tell their, their Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, what they had done, what they had experienced at this time. It's exciting. It's a, it's a real, I can imagine, just a blessing to come back together. And to be able to share and talk. 
And they're doing that here. <laughs> Telling everything that they'd done and had taught. And in verse 31, he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Again, now this verse, and rightly so, is often pointed to as an opportunity to point out how those within ministry or in life in general need to sometimes take a break. Step aside, relax, enjoy. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time for everything under heaven. There is a time for rest and relaxation. I can imagine, he says this, and I wonder, the thought going through their minds must have been, great idea, fantastic. Us, you, away, we're just going to be us, doing, you know, talking and sharing, relaxing, just encouraging one another. Awesome idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. And, it says, and not only says uh, that tells them to come aside, it part of it gives us the reason for that in verse 31 as well. It says, for there, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Whoa. <laughs> I think I've said before one time, uh, my wife, is, she's the type of personality will, who can work and just forget to eat. Loses track of time, gets focused on her task, and forget, you know, lunch, whatever, she's just going. She's like, does that ever happen to you? I'm like, no. No. Tell people, if you've ever read the Winnie the Pooh stories, his tummy leads him home. My tummy tells me what time it is. <laughs> it will. At work, I was like, oh, it's got to be getting like, yep, look at that. Time for break. I just, I, that's not who I am. I, the, the thought of working is like, no, we're missing something. We're missing dinner time. So to me, that tells this boy, these, they were busy. These fellows were busy with goings on and everything. Didn't even have time to eat. But he just, too, just to back up for a moment, says that they told him everything that they had done and taught. Again, uh, that they had done what they had done. They had been healing people, empowered with authority to heal, empowered with authority to cast out demons. These 12 going out, with the same power that Jesus was doing up until this point. Incredible. Can you imagine again the excitement, the electricity of what has happened? And again, what they had taught. The gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is at hand. And this is the evidence of it. God miraculously working through his spirit through these men. All this that had been foretold. The excitement of it all. That had been taking place. So come aside. Come aside. Let's go. Let's rest. I title this part, They're on their way to a retreat. A special little group of guys. Going to head off and just have some time away from the crowds and from the busyness. <sighs> you can't relate to that. <laughs> We've all had, hopefully, had times this summer, times in the past, to get away, to enjoy but the blessings we do have in our society, in our country, the ability to get away. Wherever that away may be. You mentioned we, um, our involvement with Northern Grace Youth Camp, the retreats are often that same idea, just come away. 
Just get away from the busyness. Get away from everything else. Unplug. Rest and put your focus on the Lord. So in a way, that's what these men were about to do. I'm looking forward to it. Verse 32 says, So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. They're on their way, sailing across the Sea of Galilee. I don't know exactly what part or where they were going, but they're going. The plans were made. They were about to happen. Something's about to take place that's going to change all that. (laughs) Not in a horrifically terrible way. A storm's not going to come in, so to speak. But their plans are going to get derailed a bit here. Because in verse 33, it says, But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Plans are about to change. Have you ever had your plans changed? <laughs> I'm looking at you, current family. <laughs> How often things come into life. Life happens. And you've got your plan. You're going. You, everything's taking place. You're moving forward. This is exactly what you're expecting to do, to take place. And something changes. Something happens to cause things like what you thought was going to happen isn't what's going to happen. <laughs> and I don't know about you, how adaptable you are. In the Philippines, when we were there, they had a term for it. Apparently, if you're a very adaptable person, you're a cowboy. I don't know why. <laughs> but apparently, that's their idea of what a cowboy is. A cowboy can be adaptable, flexible. They, they, they're not keyed into a very specific set of, of, of things, of circumstances. I'm not necessarily a cowboy by that definition. I, I do. I tend to, like, if a plan is, is, is made, if we're doing this, if this is the next thing... And then I'm told, okay, we need to stop that. We've got to go over here and do this now. What? I don't shift gears that fast. <laughs> it's kind of some grinding of gears takes place as the, the transmission in my life goes on. So as we move forward to this story, and I think everyone here is fairly well acquainted with, what, with what's going to happen, I have some sympathy for these guys. Now, these plans that, that kind of get sidetracked and derailed a bit. This multitude follows them. It's interesting. It says they saw them departing and they knew him. So they knew him. I don't know exactly what that meant. Did they know him, that they knew him well enough that they knew where the Lord was going? That, that maybe he was going up to the mountain where he normally prayed at other times? I don't know exactly, but it says that they knew him and they ran there on foot and beat him there. These are some determined people. They ran ahead and got there before them. That's what it tells us. One, it tells us something about the multitude that they just desired to be near the Lord. They, they, they would go to such lengths to chase him down on foot be near him. That people were drawn to him. 
in such a powerful way. Again, that they knew where they were going. But in verse 34, and it says here, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. I see here, one of the things I know is that Jesus isn't bothered. Jesus isn't bothered by this. Now, if we know our God, we know our Lord, it shouldn't be that surprising. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. You never see me, a part of me would be like, you know, okay, no, no, not today, not this time, okay? You can come back, you know, come back tomorrow during regular business hours, and I'll see you then. You know, right now I'm with these guys. He never does that. He's never put out. He's never irritated by seemingly uh, uh, unexpected events. One, because he's God, he knows nothing surprises him. But still, not bad, okay. Moved with compassion for these sheep without a shepherd. It's always been said, you know, sheep are not that smart. And part of that, we're going to kind of see that here <laughs> in a minute as we move through this e- event, this account. They move forward. They, 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 they are sheep without a shepherd don't have any direction. They're defenseless. They, they, they can't take care of themselves. They seem to kind of act without thinking things through completely. And again, we're going to see that a little bit, how that plays out here. But it's interesting, in the other accounts, this this entire account of of this event is one of those that is recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record it all. They all have just little added details. Not too much, but little uh, things that flesh it out a little bit. Because it says here that he began to teach them many things. And the other accounts, it tells that he healed as well. That he healed many. Again, typical of when the multitudes came together. He taught, he healed, he ministered to all their needs. The physical, the spiritual, all of it. Not tired, not bothered by it, not a feeling of interrupted, of being interrupted. But again, this teaching moment for the disciples is kind of brewing, if you will, what I see here. Their plans are changed. And Jesus, being the great teacher that he is, uses this. Because these kind of things tend to build tension. And tension is one of the great teachers, one of the great tools for teaching. 
kind of laugh at myself. I said I don't adjust very well at times to the minor things. On the way here this morning, I don't know if the others who travel the same route that I do, we're going along the way. I see Lisa smiling. There's a sign that says road closed quarter mile. And of course, my first thought, even after all this, the, the preparation for this message was in my mind and going through it at the same time, I see the sign. I go, come on. Really? And I just, as soon as the, the thought came out, I started laughing at myself. I'm like, boy, it don't take much. <laughs> oh, just a little sign saying road closed. And we live in a country where there are a multitude of roads. It's not like, you know, in some parts of the world where literally a road closed could mean a three-hour detour another way. At most, five minutes probably out of the way. <laughs> but it's the kind of thing that can just jar me enough to be like, oh, man, I can't believe it. This stinks. Yeah. So like I say, I can have a little bit of sympathy for these guys. Because as we come to the next point here, again, a problem now arises. Not only does their plans change, but now a problem comes to light. Verse 35 says, When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Verse 36, send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. They said that, you know, sheep have a hard time taking care of themselves, thinking without acting. Apparently, this large group of people was so moved, so desiring to be near the Lord, they didn't think to bring anything with them. A deserted place. No food. So the disciples make Jesus aware that it's late. These people need to eat. Again, I think the Lord knew. (laughs) I don't think he was caught unawares that what what time it was. Or that these people probably needed to, to eat. Like I said, partly maybe their attitude here comes off. It's possible they could just be there a little irritated. Again, that their plans were, were sidetracked. Again, don't know. Don't want to you know, take too much liberties with that. But it says send them away. You know, send them away so that they can get something to eat. We can take it at face value, though. That maybe they were just being logical, practical. It's late, and apparently they've taken notice that none of these people have anything to eat. Now, let them go now, at least. They can find something to eat before, you know, it becomes even later. And just the, the reality of the situation. But it's interesting, the Lord's response, again, What he says here in verse 37. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. I just pause that for a moment. <laughs> now, at first, it almost seems kind of absurd. You know, this mass group of people, 
and telling these 12 guys, well, you give them something to eat. But again, what the Lord, I think, doing here is turns it back on them, makes it think. Partly, I think, reminding them, remember, you just came back a little while ago. All the things you did. You healed people. You cast out demons. All of that. Think, McFly. Think for a minute. He gives them a seemingly impossible situation to solve. And I say seemingly. Because the Lord has empowered them. There is a solution. But right now they're seeing it all on the horizontal right now. They're just seeing the, the, the logical, practical, perhaps, <laughs> you know, again, irritated situation that's developed and the problem that these people have brought with them. But again, they're just seeing it on the horizontal. And again, we can see by their response after he tells them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? 200 denarii. Apparently, that was a pretty good chunk of change. I don't know exactly. Some of what I looked up to, a denarii was a, itself was a decent amount of money. Apparently, one source I looked into was a denarii was about 10, mu- 10 donkeys worth of money. Uh, again, that was one source of like 10 donkeys. So I had to look at, well, what's a donkey worth? And today's money, a cheap donkey is going to get you about 300 bucks. Not bad. Now breeding, you know, if you're going to a more reputable breeder, it could be up to almost $3,000. So we're looking at here on the cheap end, six grand all the way up to 40 grand, you know, Six grand maybe mean you run through, you know, get some something off the dollar menu. Maybe 40 grand, you get a nice catered lunch for everybody. But it's a sizable amount of money. And again, they're seeing it on the horizontal. Where are we going to get that kind of money? Judas, what have we got in the bank right now? I don't know. Maybe we could take up a collection. In verse 38, he says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Again, he kind of gives it back to them a little bit. Go and find out. Ask them, well, what do you got? What do you got? What do you have at your disposal that can solve this problem? You could say, perhaps they should have said, we have you. And that would be true. Lord, you're here. You could solve this problem. But also they could have said, well, we have faith. Faith. The same faith that empowered us to cast out demons. The same faith that empowered us to heal those. Faith that you and the Father in heaven working through us can solve this problem. It focuses on the physical and on the horizontal. 
But he tells them to go find out. What do you got? So they go and check and find out that they have five loaves and two fish. It's John's account that tells us that it's a young boy who's brought this. Now this fellow's a young fellow after my own heart. Out of all these people, he's the only one enough. He's like, yes, I want to go see Jesus Christ preach, but I'm bringing a snack. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's leadership material right there. <laughs> he is there. He's there. And again, there, there is a message right there in that fellow, but that's John's gospel, and we're not there. That's another side note to the word of God. There are applications and lessons plenty in one account to be learned in God's word. But that one's for another time. So they come back and tell him, this is what we got. We got five loaves, two fish. And Jesus tells them to do something very simple then. In verse 39, he says, Then, then he commanded them uh, to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Easy enough. Tell everyone to sit down. Now, kind of, you know, we poke fun at these guys sometimes, and the lessons of their failures are often better than some of their successes. But I will say at this point, a minor point that these fellows obeyed. They didn't argue with them, they didn't question it, you know, have them sit. Why? For what? He said, have them sit down. Okay. And they did it. And that may seem like a small thing. And in some ways it is. But as a side note, we have to remember that obedience in God's economy is a big thing. Even obedience in the tiny things. So they do it. They have them sit down in groups of people. Fifties, hundreds. And then the Lord takes what he's been given. And he does something very simple. Verse uh, 41 says, When he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave gave them to the disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them. Now again, I say simple only because he put, his, he put his focus vertical. And that isn't even quite the right way to put it. The Lord's focus was always on the vertical between him, the Father and himself. But at this point, is that anything that the disciples themselves couldn't have done? They could have sat down, looked to heaven, and prayed. So they looked to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. Again, the Lord's focus on the vertical, giving the attention, the glory to the Father. And he begins to pass that out. And interesting that he always continues to use. He could have, again, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we think about it, could have went around to each individual person handing things out. 
He didn't have to use the disciples. He didn't have to pass it to them. But he uses them. I was wondering, God, how God uses people today. Fallible, weak, imperfect. But even in this, he says, I'm going to work and distribute through you. How like today? God is still passing out through his people today. We talk about the Jesus can. You say that we can't, but Jesus can. <laughs> I think there's an example of that as well. Faithful giving. God working through the individual to give, to accomplish that which we think may be impossible. All he asks, trust me and give. Now the thing is, just as, as, as in this case, in Jesus can and other issues, the result is more than they could imagine. From those five loaves and those two fish, we are told in verse 42, so they all ate and were filled. They were all ate and filled. No one went hungry. This is not merely a snack to tide them over. For those who think that somehow, like, they tore off just enough for every little person here, maybe a little, you know, you know, communion wafer type idea. No, everyone was filled. Everyone was satisfied. Abundantly so, to the point where we are told that there was 12 basketfuls left over. 12 basketfuls left over. We think of that, the, the, the amount of that. And at the very end here, we're told, you know, up until this point, we're just told it's a multitude. And we get the sense that it's a great multitude, a large amount. But in this account, we aren't told till the very end how many were there. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. That in and of itself is a lot, 5,000. I think we all here know the, the reality of the situation. That's just men, because in that context, that's just the society, the culture. That's how they numbered things. And we know that you could almost double, triple, almost quadruple, depending on how many children, women and children were there. Probably at the low end, we're looking at 10,000. Probably higher than that, 15, maybe 20. Hard to know for sure. A great multitude. A great multitude of people. We're all fed, exceedingly so, satisfied. Again, when you see how when God feeds, when God moves, is exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. That's how God supplies. It's how he's always supplied. It's how he always will supply. I find it interesting here already, even the number. Makes you wonder who did the counting. It's not a major point, but sometimes I wonder, you know, how we come up with that. Maybe it was Matthew. He was a numbers guy, tax collector and all. But again, 
great multitude of people. Again, this teaching moment. And these guys, now the Lord has been teaching the multitudes. He's been teaching people throughout his whole ministry. But these guys are beginning teaching on a whole nother level. Experiential. As well as the, the doctrinal, the head knowledge of it all. Again, you guys were just casting out demons, healing the sick. And let's see what you do with this situation now. Oh, you need help. <laughs> you find yourselves incapable. Okay. I'll show you again. The Lord says in John, I forget the verse, but if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could move mountains. How often comes back to that? Faith. And again, in our lives in this, now we could say, well, that was, you know, that dispensation, that was what God was doing and working in that scenario. It was. I think of Paul as well, how often his plans and his thoughts uh, uh, were derailed. Paul wanted to go to Rome. How did he go? In chains. And en route, what happened? A shipwreck. All these things, but when he finally arrives there, who does he get present the gospel of the grace of God to Caesar the ruler of that part of the world he could stand before him and present the gospel to the extent that some of even Caesar's own household got saved you know, just because our plans take a sidetrack never means that something greater isn't going to happen. I titled this, less, the, this message that the, um, something interesting happens on the way to a retreat. Something interesting is a bit of an understatement when you think about what the miracle happened here. But again, interesting that this teaching point is going to come up again with these men, what they failed to learn here what they needed to learn here. The question is for us, are we willing to learn what the Lord has for us here? You know, as I've been talking about how, you know, change of plans can sh shake up our world and cause us to doubt and question and get frustrated. You know that sign, or, or that first sign on the, on the road this morning I saw and told me about the road closed? I kept going, figuring you know, I'll get up to the that point where it's closed and, and turn or find the, the detour. The road wasn't closed yet. When you actually got there, the sign said, work to begin Monday. <laughs> All my initial frustration and irritation at an insignificant little detour was for nothing. <laughs> the road was open. Clear through. How often that can happen in life. 
And sometimes I wonder, I think some road construction crews take a, a page from God, maybe. Because I always wonder, why don't they put that sign at the first sign, letting me know way in advance, yeah, the road's going to be closed, but not till Monday. They almost never do that, do they? Kind of reminds me, God doesn't give us all the information up front. <laughs> Does it, yeah, something's going to change. Oh, what's going to happen after that? I guess we'll see when we get there, huh? <laughs> all he ever asks is us to trust him. And know that he's going to work it all for his glory in the end. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful that you are a God that works all things to good with those that love you. And we pray that the reality of that would become ever firmer in our hearts. And we give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This is, this is canonized. No, this is... <laughs>